I'm always wrestling with never-ending to-do lists. Thankfully, I came across Llama Life, a productivity tool that helps me smash my tasks. I use Llama Life to create lists and time box actions like emails and creating presentations. It's amazing how long you actually stay in your inbox. If you want a new approach with your never-ending to-do list, jump onto Llama Life. Use the code THRIVELLAMA20 to receive 20% off the Extra Focus membership. You can find further details in the episode description. Llama Life also has a free version, which people can start using straight away. You can even try the premium features for seven days, a whole week. Think how much you will get done, and who doesn't like something for free? Check it out and get your llama on. I have a monkey mind, which means I get distracted and lose my thoughts easily. So I'd like to talk to you about Notion, a productivity software that allows you to track projects and the other cool stuff. I've been using Notion for about a year now and have loved the freedom it gives me in my business. I'm a proud Notion affiliate as it is my one-stop shop for the back end of my business and my brain when I'm not using my brain. Does that make sense? I didn't think so. <laughs> See what I mean by a monkey mind? I use Notion as a database and a way to track my programs, clients, and projects. If you're looking for a digital tool for your team, personal use, or business, you can check it out on our affiliate link in the episode description. Start today and get organized for tomorrow. Arrive and Thrive would like to begin by first acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land of which we recorded this podcast and extend our respect to elders, past, present, and emerging. Leah Lambert, welcome to the Arrive and Thrive Career Podcast. How are you going? I'm well, Tyson. How are you? Thanks for, thanks for having me on as a guest. Oh, it's our absolute pleasure. Now, listeners, Leah is a career interview coach and the founder of Relaunch Me. But instead of me doing a long-winded introduction, let's hear it from our guests. So, Leah, can you share what you do and, um, yeah, what, what makes you get up in the morning? Yeah, well, look, I've, I, I guess I do similar work to you, Tyson. It's all about helping find, people find work that they love. Um, I always say helping them find the work that they were meant to do and then giving them the tools and the resources and the confidence to actually get out there and get it. So, you know, I work with people from 18 years right up to people in their 70s um, who are looking for a career change. Um, but also, you know, I love one of my sweet spots is really helping people nail their interview. And obviously that's what we're here to talk about today. So looking forward to having a bit of a chat with you. Yeah, that's it. So nailing that interview, that's it's probably one of the most daunting things people find in their career. And um, Seek have kindly shared some stats with me around 76% of Aussies get nervous before an interview. And I think about my own experiences with interviews and I was terrified, always terrified. Sweaty palms, feeling like I was going to make, you know, embarrass myself somehow. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. After years of coaching people, what I believe it comes down to is, you know, most of us, we're used to talking about our work or we're used to talking about our study or whatever we're doing, but we're not used to talking about ourselves and how we do it. So I think that's the key. It feels really unnatural for the majority of people to talk about themselves in that way. And I would say 90, 99% of people I coach say, 
I could do this for someone else, but I find it really hard to talk about myself. Mm. Um, and if someone out there is feeling that, all I can say is I have that conversation even with CEOs of companies, um, you know, really senior leaders who still don't find it comes easily. So mm. it's a skill that I think everyone needs to learn, but I, I think it's something that many, many people find difficult. Yeah, yeah, it's such a good point. And I think no matter what stage you're at in your career, like as you said, CEOs, executives experience the same fears as perhaps a 15, 16-year-old young person going for a job at Macca's is experiencing. It's just on a different yep. scale. <laughs> exactly. I guess the, the sooner people can learn how to prepare for interviews and how to talk about themselves in that way, it's a skill you've got for life. So. Yeah. You know, I think those younger people, if they can, you know, do some work around this earlier on in their career, it's going to really set them up to be able to handle interviews even as they progress through more senior roles. Mm, Yeah, cool. So in terms of preparation for an interview, what are some of the basics that you go through with your your clients? Yeah, look, I, I guess first of all, you need to really understand the role that you've applied for. Um, You know, often people are applying for lots of different roles and they might just get a call up for an interview and haven't even really spent a lot of time researching it before they apply. Um, So I guess the first thing I would say is ask the client if you can have a copy of the position description. Um, Sometimes they forget to give it to you. So there's usually a lot more information in the position description than there is in the job ad. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the first thing. And then really spending some time looking through the responsibilities, um, looking at keywords. Um, So often it will say, you know, we're looking for someone who's a team player. Um, We're looking for someone who has initiative. We're looking for someone who's a good problem solver. So, you know, I'd be highlighting those keywords and thinking, well, this this candidate needs to have an example of when they've demonstrated that particular skill in the past. Mm. So, you know, looking at keywords and, particular focus on the selection criteria. Um, Sometimes in the position description, it might say key selection criteria. It might say this is the candidate we're looking for. Um, But, you know, usually those key bullet points is the crux of the job. Um, So, you know, really understanding the roles, number one, obviously then researching the organisation and getting a feel for their size, their products, their services, their competitors. Um, you can use, you know, look at online, or obviously looking on their website, looking up media articles. So, you know, the more you understand about the organisation and the wider industry, I think will help you stand out as a candidate. Yeah, fantastic. And I think it's, I've also heard themes from both recruiters and other career counsellors and coaches around really being able to know your your story. Like, do you feel like that's an important part? Because I think quite often a common question and a dreaded question from a lot of people is, you know, tell me about yourself (laughs) and people can draw a blank. Like what's your take on how to prepare for, you know, such a question? Well, first of all, I think the key thing is that you do need to prepare for that. Um, And most people find that really difficult, that question, because they don't know, do they want to know about personal stuff Mm -hmm. or do they want to know about work stuff? how far back should I go? Like, do I start when I was in primary school? Yeah. Or do I... So I guess it's such a broad question. Um, often people want, like, parameters and uh, clear instructions when they answer a question. I know I'm that sort of person. 
it is really hard for people to work out what to include. So I guess the key thing I would say is focus on what is relevant to the role. Um, probably focus more on your recent work history, particularly if you're someone who's worked for a long time, and focus on the, you know, the key skills and experience that you have that is relevant, but also perhaps finishing with why you've applied and, you know, why you want this particular role. Mm. Um, but don't need to give any personal information because it's not relevant to the role unless you really want to. Yeah, and that might be, say, for example, when someone might do that, that might be where they've either researched the company and it's it's demonstrated that they have specific values that maybe align with your, your personal interests. Um, yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point because I think that's another thing. People are, like, really afraid around knowing what to share, what not to share, what could be relevant, what couldn't be relevant. And so ha- how do you help people, like, deal with that level of uncertainty around the questions? Because um, Obviously, some interviews, there are preset questions and maybe a case study that you have to work on or whatever, but quite often we, we don't really know exactly what questions they're going to ask. Is there a way that you can help your clients with that process? Yeah, so when I coach someone, it all comes back to, again, looking at the position description and often looking at the job ad as well. And as I said before, it's looking at the keywords, the key skills that they're looking for but also looking at the values of the organisation. So as you know, and really, you know, most organisations these days use a type of interviewing called behavioural interviewing. Um, And so this means that they are asking for a specific example of where you've demonstrated a particular skill that's needed in the job. So it could be teamwork, it could be communication, it could be influencing skills. So usually those keywords would be in the job ad. And so then they would ask, you know, tell us about a time when you've used your influencing skills successfully or describe a time you managed a conflict with a colleague. So, you know, those questions are really hard to answer on the spot because you need a story and they expect you to structure it in a method called the STAR method, um, which stands for describe the situation, your task, your actions and the result. So there's an expectation that candidates will know that, which is quite unfair really because not everyone does know that. Mm. Um, But if you haven't prepared those stories in advance and really practised how you're going to talk about yourself in that way, it's, it's really difficult to answer those questions on the spot, even for someone who's highly extroverted and has the gift of the gab. You know, I still think it's a really difficult thing to do. You know, going from some of the the facts shared around interviews, like I found that I'm just going to read some of these, what Aussies would say are the most dreaded interview questions. So what is your biggest weakness? You know, a common question. Tell me about yourself, which we've started to cover. Um, As you said, problem-solving questions. So this could be something, and my take is on problem-solving questions. It's always like inviting the interviewer to to understand your thought process and understand your workings so it's like back in high school when you do your maths test they're not just looking for the correct answer they're looking for how you solved that equation um that's my take on that and you know a question that i really don't like as a careers counselor but i get why they ask it you know where do you see yourself in five years time so like these types of questions um 
yeah, like let's let's jump into like the what is your biggest question? What is your biggest weakness? How how do you encourage people to to answer that one first? Well, I think first of all, it's helping candidates understand why they ask that question, mm. and you know the usual reason is they want to know are you self aware. Um, when you think about if you were hiring someone, you know, would you want to hire someone who thinks they're perfect? Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> and that's because they're going to be hard to train. They're going to be hard to give feedback to if mm. they don't think they've got anything to learn. And no one's perfect. So, no one is perfect. There's, everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. Um, so it's actually better to give a real weakness rather than try and cover something up or use something that's really a strength like, you know, I'm a you know, perfectionist. Yeah. It's obviously a very common way of answering that. I'm too um, hard of a worker. <laughs> yeah, but look, at the end of the day, I think most hiring managers would respect the candidate who is honest about something that just doesn't come naturally to them that they perhaps have had to work on over their career. And perhaps they've become much better at it, but it's still something that's not a natural thing for them. I also like to, um, something I share with young people too, is this demonstration of how you're trying to improve it as well. So one of the things that like, whenever I've been asked that question, you know, what is your biggest weakness? And I still get asked that question sometimes when I'm, um, you know, pitching for work or um, when we're doing certain programs. And, And I always say, it's my attention to detail and my, and my grammar. Um, but the way I'm curving that and trying to improve is using apps like Grammarly and, you know, asking further assistance for people to review my work and ensure my copy um, is, is appropriate and reviewed accordingly. And, and so it's a working progress for me. And I think, you know, as you said, no, one, no one's perfect, um, but it's about demonstrating that self-awareness and how you, you're curving it into a positive light. Well, that's right. And if I was interviewing you, Tyson, I'd go, okay, well, not great with detail, but that's probably because he's a big picture thinker and he's creative and he's, you know, going to be great at strategy and coming up with ideas. So, you know, I guess it really depends on the role. Like if you're applying for a job as an editor, you know, or, or probably a not the best job for me. <laughs> wouldn't uh, be so honest about that but you know it really comes down to if you know um, the job you're applying for is going to be a good fit for you then you know perhaps that weakness won't matter anyhow Mm. or there's a worker say by using technology etc or using a colleague who has a strength in that and enjoys that part of the work yeah yeah yeah, love that, love that. What about that, you know, the question of where do you see yourself in five years' time? Do you like that question, Leah? Like I, I just go, you know, it's so hard to predict what the future of work holds. It is hard, but I, you know, I think they ask that question to see if people are realistic about where they can be in five years and also I guess to see if they've actually thought beyond the interview mm. and the next, you know, do they see themselves actually having a career in this organisation. Mm. You know, as we know, onboarding and recruiting costs a lot of money, training people up. You know, they don't want to hire someone who's planning an overseas trip in 12 months. Yep. Unless that's role and it's a 12-month contract. So <laughs> see a bit of commitment and I guess a realistic expectation that they might not be the CEO in five years. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Like I, young people always laugh um, when we run 
interview workshops at schools because I'll say, you know, where do you see yourself in five years' time and where we might be role-playing like a, a Macca's interview. And they're like, is it okay for me to say not working at Macca's? And I'm like, yes, absolutely, it's fine. You just got to, you know, demonstrate that you have – that how this role is a part of your journey in the process. So we look at McDonald's and it's, you know, generally an entry-level position with the opportunity for you to develop your employability skills, leadership, communication, etc. Um, but as you said, like, you know, have, like, I suppose goalposting where you're currently at and what you're aiming for in the short, short-term future um, is what, what they want to know because, again, it's a big investment of time, money, resources they want to make sure that they're getting someone that's aligned with the the direction and position yeah correct and look i mean at the end of the day not everyone can be a store manager or you know at mcdonald's because all of these organizations have a pyramid structure right Mm. they expect people to leave along the way so it probably also comes down to the role you're interviewing for and what the expectation is around how long you stay Mm. yeah cool just on that, so what what are some any any pointers for listeners who are perhaps preparing for an interview? Because because I think we forget sometimes that an interview is a two way street. So for both the candidate to ask questions of the interviewer to to gauge if this is a company that they would like to work for. So is there any like questions that you believe are the ones you should answer? So you should ask um, and. Just on that, another common question I get from grads too is, can I take like a notebook with my questions written down or or points that I want to raise? And um, I always say, you know, hands up if you think you should you should be able to take a notebook, hands up if you don't think, and it's always a 50-50 split. So would love to get your take on that. Well, let's answer that first. Look, I think it's a great idea to take a notebook. I mean, most people who are working, if you go to a meeting, you prepare and you take notes. So I think it, it would impress the hiring manager to show that you've put some thought into it, into the preparation beforehand, rather than just trying to think of something on the spot because you think you should ask a question. So I think the answer is yes, by all means, take a notebook, but I wouldn't be trying to read your responses to the interview questions off your notes. You know, a couple of key points written down is probably fine and you can just have a quick glance down if you go blank. Um, but you definitely don't want to be reading off a piece of paper or the screen if you're doing a video interview. Mm. It is quite obvious that people... <laughs> um, but to go back to the first question, look, I think at the end of the day, candidates have to make an informed decision. Yep. So... You've got to, as a candidate, you've got to think about, well, what do you really need to know in order to know it's the right job for you? Mm-hmm. So I think the first part is questions about the actual job itself. Um, so that might be, you know, what does an average day look like in this job? Um, what might be some of the challenges that I will be faced with in this job? Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about the rest of the team and what their experience and backgrounds are? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, you get a feel for what the role is going to involve day to day, particularly if you're someone who hasn't worked in this sort of field before, um, what might be some of the difficult parts. Maybe there'll be difficult people that you've got to work with. Um, I'd like to know that first before mm-hmm. I took a job. Um, so there's, I guess, aspects about the role. Um, it might be something like, you know, what does success look like in this role? How is the success, 
measured in the role. Mm. Um, what sort of person in your company has been a great performer? Like what are the skills and attributes that make someone successful? So I think, you know, the role is one thing. And the second thing is working out if it's the right culture fit, work environment for you. As you would know, Tyson, from speaking with lots of people in careers, you know, the work can be great, but if you're not working with people um, that motivate you, if you're not working in a, an environment that's the right fit for you, then it doesn't matter how good the job is, you know, it's not necessarily going to be the right fit. Mm. So understanding the company culture, understanding, um, you know, if work-life balance, for example, is, interest, is important to you, you need to understand all of that up front. Mm. Yeah. So well put. I think one of the other things too that I think a lot of people um, are afraid of asking is clarifying salary and, and, and packages too. Like, and, and I often get a question around, you know, is it okay to ask that? Like, what's your take on that? Oh, for sure. Like, there's no point going down this long recruitment process if you're wasting each other's time. Yep. So even if you get a chance to – if there's a screening interview, sometimes someone from HR might give you a call. Um, often in that interview, in that screening interview, they might ask you what your salary expectations are. But if they don't, then I think it's perfectly fine for the candidate to say, look, you know, could I just ask what sort of salary range you're looking at for this role? Yep. You know, it might be 10 or 20 grand or more out from where you're pitching yourself. Mm. So why bother you know, wasting everyone's time going down this path if it's never going to work out. Mm. The, you know, I've, I've also heard um, interviewers like say this question before. They'll say, you know, what is it um, – what salary did you have in mind? And so being, being able to pitch, I suppose, how much you think you're entitled to in the role is also – would you classify that as an interview skill or is that like a little bit different with like salary negotiation and, and that type of stuff? Mm. Well, look, it often is part of the interview process. Mm. So I think it's really important. Um, sometimes it's really hard to know, but I think the, if you can do some market research um, and that might be speaking with recruiters who specialise in your area, um, looking at seek data, you know, you can often look up Seek and some of the other job boards and other um, pay scales. Some of those websites have salary guides, and you can. And then also some of the recruitment companies produce an annual salary guide every year mm. that has quite detailed ranges for different levels within an industry and even across different cities. Yep. So that's probably a guide um, that you can use to go in and sort of. If you feel like you sit within this range and the salary offered is way below, then you know you'd probably be asking why. Cool. One of the things um, that I'd love to touch on too, Leah, is this: you know, managing the the fear of of failure. So, I think quite often, you know, again, stats pulled from Seek, like less than um, I think fifty percent of Aussies feel confident answering questions that they do not prepare for. Too. So, quite often, we're second guessing if we answered the you know, the question correctly. We're jumping out of our interview going, oh man, did, should I have said that instead of this? And, oh, perhaps I should have you know, brought that piece of experience into the equation as well. Like any tips that you give people, you know, preparing for that, that uncertainty of, of if they're going to be successful or not. And, and 
um, and generally staying calm through the process too because I think that's that's the other thing. People just get nervous. Um, you know, I've, I've heard a mixed bag of things like people going into the bathroom, you know, facing the mirror, getting their confidence stance, like ramping themselves up. But then I've also heard the other thing of, of people just, um, you know, not knowing any ways to calm their thoughts down and they feel like they go in and about to have a panic attack. So, yeah, can you can you share any insights around managing fear and, and the fear of failure and, and staying calm? Yeah, so look, a lot of people get nervous. And as I said, it's, it could be someone at an entry-level role right through to senior people. Um, so it's normal. And sometimes it's actually good to have a few nerves. Like it actually mm. gets you a bit like the adrenaline going. Um, you know, it's not always a negative thing. Um, unless, of course, it makes you feel terribly unwell and, you know, you certainly that's something you need to control. So I think, you know, breathing is one thing. Um, often people sort of get so tense that they forget to breathe from their diaphragm. Often that might mean they go blank and can't think of something yep. because they're not getting oxygen. So if you ask someone who's nervous, there are some breathing techniques you could do, um, you know, do a bit of practice with breathing you know, long before the interview, but even sitting in reception before you go in. So I think, you know, that's one way to keep your nerves under control. But look, I personally think it all comes down to preparation. Mm. So my favourite quote. Love this. Is, you know it already? Do you know no, what no, sorry. I, just, I love quotes, sorry. <laughs> so my favourite quote is, the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war. Oh. You go, listeners. I make my clients go away and write out all their examples and practice them into the dog and do mock interviews with their friends. Yeah. You know, or questions you can anticipate and prepare for. Like, of course, you're going to be less nervous because mm-hmm. you know that it's highly likely that, you know, 80 or 90% of the questions that you get, you've already got a response for. You know, sometimes interviews just don't go to plan. Like the panel asks ridiculous questions that are completely unrelated to the job description that, you know, probably no candidate is going to be do very well at. So, look, sometimes you will get an interview that's just a bit out of the box. But personally, I think if, it, if you prepare well, if you can read through the PD, if you can anticipate the key capabilities required, if you can come up with a story for each of those capabilities, if you can practice them aloud, I've got clients who drive to work practicing their examples, they record themselves, they play it back. You know, I feel like it's always going to go better on the day with that extra preparation, even though it's painful and time consuming. So, you know, if you really want it to go well, you've just got to put in the work. That's it, Leah. i got to play this now. Woo-hoo! Land that job. Yeah, it's such a good point. Um, and, you know, I think... It, Practicing, like oh, I, I've heard that before around practicing your questions. Uh, sorry, practicing your answers, recording them into your phone, because um, I think that is so good. For example, like whenever I listen back to a podcast or a presentation I've made, I'm constantly picking up, you know, cues, bits of feedback around the way I communicate myself ways in which I say things, fillers that I use, and it's it's the perfect way to continue to, to develop your communication. So why not do that before 
game day essentially of the interview to to see you know how you flow with specific answers i absolutely love that and people i think people are naturally nervous when they hit record on their phone anyway so it's like a good way to practice dealing with those nerves before you hit the major leagues yeah look feedback i get from clients who have done that extra prep and perhaps haven't you know prepared like that before they will even if they don't get the job they'll say i still feel like i did a much better job than i have before that i felt calmer i felt more prepared you know they they're often even happy with the experience even if they don't get it because they know how much they improved from last time Mm. you know they know they're getting closer so you know, sometimes you don't get the job and it may not actually be anything to do with your performance. You know, there might be a hundred different reasons. They might have pulled the job and decided not to recruit. Um, someone else in the team might have just resigned, which means they put it on hold. Um, maybe, you know, you just there were better candidates on the day. So, you know, you can still perform well in the interview and not get the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a good segue to our, our next question I want to ask you, which is, you know, bouncing back from from negative interview experiences. So, you know, you don't get the job. You're frustrated. You're going, oh, my God, I'm never going to land this next move or you feel like you can't progress. How, what's some tips that you give around keeping things positive and, and, and bouncing back to, to succeed in the next interview? Look, it, it is difficult and, you know, there's not, no one likes rejection, let's face no. it. So, you know. Human beings. Several times, you know, you start to question yourself and you get this imposter syndrome, I'm not good enough. You know, it's it's normal. So I think all you can do is focus on, you know, what you've learnt from the interview. Um, I always encourage people when they come out of an interview to go and write down all the questions um, and almost sort of evaluate where they felt they did well versus where they might do a bit better, you know, could do a bit better next time. So I think it's focusing on what you've learnt from that interview. Um, rather than, you know, I didn't get the job. Um, and look, often, you know, sometimes it's a good reason you didn't get the job. It wasn't the right fit. Um, you know, sometimes I think people are better off not getting the job rather than starting in a position and then, you know, three or four months down the line really realising it was, you know, they're set up to fail because they didn't have the right skills, didn't have the right experience or it wasn't the right culture fit. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think sometimes you've got to trust that they made a good decision and that there will be a better job out there that will be a better fit for you. Yeah, it's trusting the process, isn't it? Like I I always say I'm a big believer of if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So, you know, the universe will, will guide and, you know, if there's something like, uh, yeah, if there's a reason why you're not able to get that job, um, you know, it's – uh, yeah, it's that fate piece. I, I, I personally think is that because I feel like we can get so hung up on certain positions, and I almost put like job hunting in that same bracket as you know buying a house, buying a car. Like you start to when you look at the job, you start to visualize yourself in that job. You start to go, oh yeah, I'll you know this is the way I'll go to work. I'll be able to do, it. and it's it's not done until you you sign that contract. So I think just reminding ourselves that. It is a process. It, it does take time. And if you're not successful this time round, probably a, a bigger, higher reason. Um, but there is a fantastic opportunity for you around the corner and keeping that positivity flowing. Yeah, 
got to stay positive, got to remind yourself of the good things you're doing. I think it's sometimes just, you know, taking some action each day in mm-hmm. your job search so that you know you're moving forward. It might be, you know, sending out an email to someone to inquire about opportunities. Um, it might be a coffee with someone. You've got to keep yourself busy, keep your routine up if you're job searching and not working. Yeah, yeah. And this is, um, I suppose, a follow-up question to that. So, so let's say you've gone through the interview process. You've just finished the interview. You felt it's gone well. You've written down a few other follow-up questions that you would like to perhaps ask. What do you recommend doing after the interview? So I've heard, again, mixed things. Um, some career coaches say, you know, need to um, get on the front foot, send an email, thank them for their time. Other people go, oh, wait a week before you do that. Like what's what's your take on what you should do after an interview process? Look, I would encourage people to send an, in, an email. Assuming you've got, you should have the email address of yeah. at least one from the panel. Um, email within 24 hours, say. Um, thanking them for their time, perhaps highlighting something interesting or exciting that came out of the conversation, perhaps just reinforcing your interest. I think sometimes candidates are so nervous that they actually forget to tell the panel that they really want the job. And, <laughs> Such a good point. You know, they're so all a bit awkward at the end. Oh, well, yes, we'll be in touch. And, you know, they the candidate leaves and the panel's saying, like, do you think they actually, yeah. do you think they really you know, because they're so nervous about seeing to, being seen as, you know, too pushy or too keen that they kind of keep all the cards close to their chest. But, you know, if you, if, you know, I think it's great to reinforce that at the end of the interview. But, you know, even again in an email, it, you know, it doesn't have to be too over the top. A couple of sentences just confirming that you're really interested, particularly these areas are, you know, really stand out as something you're excited to be involved in. And you look forward to, you know, receiving feedback in due course. So, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long <laughs> as it's not full of typos and telling <laughs> the <laughs> Absolutely. Make sure you use Grammarly listeners and get people to, yeah, review your email. Um, yeah, love that tip. Yeah. Love that tip. I, I do remember one client, like she was very proud of herself that she sent this email and she forwarded it to me and it was just, Full of mistakes. Like, oh, no. Oh, I wish you'd sent me earlier. Poor thing. Did they end up getting the job? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, come to think of it. I can't remember, though. It's those, it's those old school things, isn't it, like that still are so vital, like grammar, you know, punctuality. Like I still hear um, – we had a, a recruiter on the call the other week, Camilla, and um, she was like saying, you know, if you're late, ring. Like, just just tell them that you're going to be late. Like, so sorry. And, and you know, when you get there, apologise. Because <laughs> people still don't do that because they're focusing on the interview. They're like, they're flustered. Um, but it's those little basics that I think we just need to, to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Yes. And particularly on Zoom interviews, I think, you know, think about your background, like, mm. or in your bedroom, that's fine. You know, not everyone has a home office, but make the bed, you know, <laughs> don't hanging in the corner. You know, you can still make it a clean, presentable space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, 
Absolutely. And it's interesting, like just looking at some of those seek stats too, like 68% of Aussies prefer to have an interview in person. So I think we're still, you know, adjusting to that, that interview process remotely um, where again, a lot of us are wanting to, you know, have that interview in person. Um, so you can kind of feel that human connection before you make a, a big decision like that. Well, I, and look, I think that's really important from an employer's point of view. In a tight market, you know, you're going to get your candidate engaged in the process. If you if they get a chance to meet you in person, mm. you might be able to show them around the office space. Like, that's what's going to get them back for a second interview. Um, you know, over the phone, it's hard for candidates to build that connection and to get, you know, engaged in the process. Mm. Yeah, so well put. Leah, we've spoken a lot about we've spoken about some very interesting um, parts around interviews. Any other final tips, tricks? Like if someone say they've got an interview in about a week's time, like anything um, aside from that prepare piece, like any other little things that we perhaps haven't covered that you, you would recommend? Look, I think we've covered most of it, but I always say do your due diligence outside the process as well. So. You know, if you do happen to know someone who works in the organisation or someone who might know someone, like, you don't necessarily have to trust everything that is told to you in the recruitment process. Like, I would be sort of, you know, using your contacts and your network to try and, you know, perhaps speak to people in that organisation or who have worked for them in the past just to, you know, make sure that everything's lining up, that, you know, the culture is as they say it is. Um, and you can ask for examples in the interview as well. But, you know, I think if there is an opportunity to use your network to get more information, then, you know, I'd encourage people to do that as well. Yeah, fantastic advice. Fantastic advice. Now, just before we let you go, we ask every guest um, that we have on our show, you know, something that they're roaring about to, to honour the great man, Dan Lenardi. So I'll just um, play his theme music for this segue. <laughs> Taco, taco, I'm roaring. <laughs> I'm brewing, I'm, yeah, I'm soaking it up. Taco, just thought I'd drop you a little late night surprise for you. <laughs> I'm not sure if you can hear the sizzling. I'm just sort of stewing on that. Thoughts? I'm roaring. So, Leah. <laughs> You know, how, um, what are you roaring about? It can be, you know, I know you roar about interviews and you're passionate about this type of stuff, but um, anything else that you're currently roaring about? Well, look, I would have to say my biggest passion at the moment, don't tell my kids or my husband, but all my other older dogs, but I've just got a new Border Collie puppy. Oh, so, awesome. Uh, we've, I've got a five year old Border Collie and now five months old, and I'm I'm pretty obsessed with her, so <laughs> loving uh, working from home and spending a bit of time with her, and yeah, she's good fun. Oh, I love that. What's the dog's name? Tess. Oh, beautiful. My cousin has a border collie. Apparently, they're, they're super, super smart. Like I have a a pug, and she's she's smart, but she's like you know she's shifty too, like super shifty. But I feel like border collies they're like little Einsteins, apparently. Very easy to teach. You know, five months, she sits, she shakes, she high-fives, she does spin, uh, roll over. Yeah, look, it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, she's my little pet project at the moment. And, yeah, um, 
I'm going to take her for a walk as soon as we finish the interview. <laughs> oh, perfect. Awesome. And for, for listeners who want to um, connect with yourself and, and learn, learn more about Relaunch Me and perhaps get in contact with some, for some extra support and advice, how can people follow you and, and get in contact? Yeah, look, probably the easiest way is through the website, which is just relaunchme.com.au. Um, I hang out on, I've got an Instagram account, Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, so people can connect with me there if they've got questions um, or jump on the website, you know, have a look at what we do. Um, and I've also got my own podcast, which is called Relaunch Your Career. Um, and yeah, so I talk about sort of career related things and interview some people about their career change. So, you know, you can check out some of that stuff on um, the Relaunch Your Career podcast. Fantastic. Awesome. And um, I do really appreciate you sharing your, your time and your tips with our audience, Leo, because I think, um, yeah, it, for anyone out there who's active on LinkedIn, highly recommend following Leah's updates because she, she posts some really good content. So, um, yeah, really thank you for coming on. Thanks, Tyson. I might have to get you on my podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> it would be an honour. <laughs> Um, great to great to have you know really great to chat with you so thanks for having me as a guest and good luck everyone out there with your interviews um, yeah make sure you do your prep and you'll be fine.